Hello, everyone, and welcome to the June 22nd edition of WorkComp Academy Weekly News. I'm Renee Foles, an attorney with Floyd, Skarin, and Kelly. Thanks for joining us today. Let's get started with our litigation report. The Court of Appeal has rejected a constitutional challenge to the lien filing fee. Here's what happened in the unpublished case of Chorn versus Brown. Robin Chorn, MD, is a physician who provides medical services to workers' compensation applicants. He filed a class action civil complaint contending that the labor code sections imposing medical lien activation and filing fees and restrictions on payment of awards to assinees violated provisions of the California Constitution. He further alleged that the adoption of emergency regulations to implement the lien activation fee violated the California Administrative Procedures Act. The Superior Court held that it lacked jurisdiction to consider Chorn's challenge to the statute and denied the motion without considering the merits. The Court of Appeals sustained the trial court in the unpublished case of Chorn v. Brown. Labor Code Section 5955 says that only the Supreme Court and the Courts of Appeal have jurisdiction to restrain, enjoin, or interfere with the Appeals Board in their performance of its duties. The trial court concluded that the California Constitution confers on the legislature plenary power, unlimited by any provision of the state constitution, to establish a system of workers' compensation. This includes the power to create a system for trial and resolution of workers' compensation disputes. The trial court accordingly concluded that there is no jurisdiction in superior courts over workers' comp disputes. The Court of Appeal agreed, saying, The Courts of Appeal and Supreme Court have exclusive jurisdiction over Chorn's challenge to the validity of the statute. The order of the trial court was affirmed. People use the Uber ride share hailing application to find a driver to take them where they want to go for a price. But is that driver an Uber employee or an independent contractor? The California Labor Commissioner's Office has ruled that San Francisco Uber driver Barbara Ann Berwick was an employee and entitled to receive more than $4,000 in mileage and toll expenses. The order reasoned that her services were integral to the company's business model and, without drivers, Uber's business would not exist. The decision handed down earlier this month and quickly appealed by Uber could disrupt the Silicon Valley startups that have redefined the relationship between companies and workers. The case could spawn other legal challenges from workers and regulations from cities and states. If the case winds up before the California Supreme Court, it could lead to a broader precedent-setting ruling. Uber connects drivers and passengers through a smartphone app, much in the same way that Airbnb digitally connects property owners and short-term renters. Both companies and others like them have faced a series of political battles in states and cities struggling to regulate such fast-growing enterprises, which are upending business models and often drawing protests. 
Uber has grown more than six-fold over the last five years. It now operates in more than 150 U.S. cities and 57 countries around the world. The company has raised more than $5.9 billion from investors, putting Uber at a $41 billion valuation above General Motors and Ford and the highest-valued startup in the U.S. Those high valuations, however, could be threatened by a rising tide of legal and regulatory challenges across the globe. In March, a federal judge gave the go-ahead to a class-action lawsuit in federal court in San Francisco involving drivers who argue they are employees entitled to benefits such as unemployment insurance, workers' comp, and health care. Uber has contended that it offers its drivers the freedom to choose how often and when to work, meaning the traditional employer-employee relationship does not apply. The company also said the decision contradicted a 2012 ruling in which the office concluded that a driver had performed services as a contractor and not as a bona fide employee. The most recent order found that Uber was involved in every aspect of the operation, including vetting drivers, requiring them to provide personal banking, social security, and address information, conducting DMV and background checks, and only allowing drivers to use registered cars that are less than 10 years old. Unlike many taxi or limousine services, Uber does not directly employ drivers, nor does it own or maintain the vehicles used by the drivers. Classifying drivers as employees would be costly for Uber. In California, for example, the company would have to reimburse employees for gas, tolls, and insurance, and would also be on the hook for unemployment insurance, workers' comp, Social Security, and other benefits. The classification of independent contractor versus employee has been a long-standing source of conflict in U.S. labor law, ranging from port truck drivers to janitors to delivery drivers. But in recent years, the debate has shifted into the high-tech startup realm, where companies have worked to develop applications connecting workers who supply services and customers who demand them. It is not uncommon for seriously injured workers to be awarded home health care services by the WCAB. In some cases, the claim is for services 24 hours a day. It is similarly not uncommon for the employer to meet this obligation by payment for services to a spouse or family member of the injured worker. It is unfortunately very uncommon for employment law issues such as wage hour and meal breaks and overtime pay to be included in this arrangement with the family member or, for that matter, a clear understanding of who exactly the caregiver's employer might be. Lurking in the background is a supplemental claim for back pay and penalties, as illustrated by the result of this labor law dispute. The California Labor Commissioner awarded more than $138,000 in back pay to a caregiver who worked 16-hour days in 
for less than minimum wage, usually without a day off. The amount includes minimum wage and severance pay violations, liquidated damages, and waiting time penalties. Francisca Vasquez, a Salvadorian war refugee, was hired in 1992 to work as a companion for elderly parents for $400 a month. Eventually, Vasquez became a housekeeper and then round-the-clock caregiver for $500 a month. Upon the mother's death, Vasquez was discharged. Because Vasquez filed her claim two years into the three-year statute of limitations for minimum wage claims, she could only collect wages on the last year she worked. Vasquez was assisted in the wage claim process by a community organization and the Legal Aid Society Employment Law Center. There's no clear solution that would apply generically across workers' compensation cases to minimize the risk in home health care situations where a family member becomes the paid caregiver. It would be prudent to consult an employment law attorney such as Bernadette O'Brien at Floyd, Skarin and Kelly should there be concerns about what this risk might be or how it might be mitigated. And now our fraud report. More than 240 individuals, including doctors and nurses, were arrested for their alleged participation in fraud schemes involving approximately $712 million in false billings. The arrests were part of a coordinated operation in 17 cities by Medicare Fraud Strike Force teams. Officials said the arrest constituted the largest ever healthcare fraud takedown in terms of both loss amount and arrests. The charges are based on a variety of schemes, including claims for treatments that were medically unnecessary and often not provided. 44 of the defendants were charged in schemes related to Medicare Part D, the Prescription Drug Benefit Program, which is a growing target for criminals. FBI investigations leverage technology to collect and analyze data and rapid response teams to surge where the data showed the schemes were operating. Two Los Angeles doctors are among nine Californians charged with defrauding Medicare out of $66 million by submitting bills for unnecessary services and equipment. Prosecutors contend that Dr. Joseph Altamariano built Medicare out of nearly $23 million through phony billing and referrals for medically equipment that was not needed. Dr. Robert A. Glazer allegedly signed prescriptions for unnecessary services and medical equipment. Prosecutors say the prescriptions were sold to medical providers who used them to collect $22 million from Medicare. More than 900 law enforcement officials participated in the three-day sweep. Those arrested include 46 licensed medical professionals, including 19 doctors. Since 2007, the Medicare Fraud Strike Force has prosecuted more than 200 doctors and more than 400 medical professionals. After a four-month investigation, Reuters has documented the full extent of the fraud in India's medical education system. 
The stunning report concludes that India's system for training doctors is broken. It is plagued by rampant fraud and unprofessional teaching practices, exacerbating the public health challenge facing the fast-growing but still poor nation of about 1.25 billion people. The ramifications spread beyond the country's borders. India is the world's largest exporter of doctors, with about 47,000 currently practicing in the United States and about 25,000 in the United Kingdom. The Reuters probe also found that recruiting companies routinely provide medical colleges with doctors to pose as full-time faculty members to pass government inspections to demonstrate that teaching hospitals have enough patients to provide students with clinical experience, colleges round up healthy people to pretend they are sick. Government records show that since 2010, at least 69 Indian medical colleges and teaching hospitals have been accused of such transgressions or other significant failings, including rigging entrance exams or accepting bribes to admit students. Two dozen of the schools have been recommended for outright closure by the regulator. According to India's health ministry, doctors and college officials paying bribes, often in the guise of donations, to gain admission to Indian medical schools is widespread. The Medical Council of India, or MCI, is charged with maintaining excellence in medical education. But this government body is itself mired in controversy. Its prior president currently faces bribery allegations, and the council is the subject of a mountain of lawsuits, many of them pitting it against medical schools challenging its findings. Shajatha Rawal, who served as India's health secretary from 2009 to 2010, said... The market has been flooded with doctors so poorly trained they are little better than quacks. According to the Indian Medical Association, about 45% of the people in India who practice medicine have no formal training. These 700,000 unqualified doctors have been found practicing at some of India's biggest hospitals, giving diagnoses, prescribing medicines, and even conducting surgery. Balwant Rai Arora, a Delhi resident in his 90s, said in an interview that he issued more than 50,000 fake medical degrees from his home until his forgery ring was broken up by the police in 2011. Each buyer paid about $100 for a degree from a fictitious college. Aurora was twice convicted and jailed for forgery, but he claims he was just helping people with some medical experience get jobs and was not doing anything wrong. Tens of thousands of India's medical graduates practice overseas, particularly in the United States, Britain, Australia, and Canada. All of these countries require additional training before graduates of Indian medical schools can practice and... The vast majority of the doctors have unblemished records, but regulatory documents show that in both Britain and Australia, more graduates of Indian medical schools lost their right to practice medicine in the past five years 
than did doctor from any other foreign country. The Almonte City Council is investigating roughly $50,000 spent on City Treasurer Jerry Velasco since a car accident in November. Councilwoman Norma Macias said the council and the city attorney were never notified about Velasco's workers' compensation claim prior to its approval. She said she learned about the approval after the San Gabriel Valley Tribune requested documents relating to the workers' comp claim. El Monte Mayor Andre Quintero, who is a friend and political ally of Mr. Velasco, said he supports an investigation as long as it is not politically motivated. But Velasco announced last week that he plans to run for city council in the November election against Councilman Bart Patel and Councilwoman Victoria Martinez. Thus, he thinks the investigation is simply a political issue. Velasco does not know who approved his claim or how it was processed. All he got was a letter saying that the claim was accepted. Velasco and another driver collided at about 8.30 p.m. on November 6th at the intersection of Cogswell and Lower Azusa Road. The crash badly injured Velasco, who had to be extricated from his sedan. At the time, he was returning from the graduation of the El Monte Police Department Citizens Academy. Councilman Bart Patel questioned whether Velasco qualified for workers' compensation as the crash occurred after what he called a private event put on by the police department at the El Patio Bar and Grill. It was an invite-only event for family and friends who were supporting their loved ones who were graduating from the class. Patel said he did not think there was any expectation for a city treasurer to be at an event like this one. Velasco was not listed on the event's program, but he does appear in several pictures from the presentation. Velasco said he was invited to represent the city as no other city officials planned to attend. He said he was doing a favor for the city and thought it was covered. And in regulatory news, California state average weekly wage rose just under 2.3% in the year ending March 31, 2015. This increase will boost temporary total disability and permanent total disability rates for 2016 work injury claims and other workers' comp benefits that are tied to changes in the state average weekly wage. The current maximum wait for t- wage for the current maximum rate for 2015 job injuries is $1,103.29 per week. But it now the maximum will rise to $1,128.43 per week for claims with injury dates on or after January 1, 2016. State law also links minimum weekly rates to state average weekly wage increases. Those minimum rates will rise from the current $165.49 per week to $169.26. Beginning next January, other workers' comp benefits will also be bumped up by the recent increases in the state average weekly wage, including 
temporary disability paid two years or more after the injury, life pension, and permanent total disability payments for injuries on or after January 1, 2003, and installment payments on death claims. The California Insurance Commissioner announced the appointment of John Finston as General Counsel for the California Department of Insurance. Finston, who has served as Deputy Commissioner for Corporate and Regulatory Affairs for three years, will replace outgoing General Counsel Adam Cole. Finston has practiced regulatory law for 35 years and currently serves on the Conservation and Liquidation Office Governance Committee and as a board member of the Federal Crop Insurance Corporation. Before joining the California Department of Insurance, Finston was a partner in two large insurance law firms for more than 25 years. During that time, his practice emphasized insurance regulation, reinsurance, corporate transactions, and insurance company insolvency matters. During his tenure at the California Department of Insurance, Finston has increased California's influence at the National Association of Insurance Commissioners by serving as chair of the Receivership and Insolvency Task Force, vice chair of the Reinsurance Task Force, chair of the Qualified Jurisdictions Working Group, and co-chair of the Guarantee Fund Working Group. Finston is well-versed in international insurance regulatory issues, which are becoming increasingly important for consumer protection. And he has participated in international meetings of insurance supervisors, reviewing the operations of a number of international insurance groups, including Allianz, Zurich, Farmers, and Amtrust. He will begin his new assignment on July 6. And in financial news, it is still a far cry from the workers' compensation crisis of a decade ago, but workers' comp premium volume soared nearly 11% last year, the third year in a row that premium volume has jumped by more than $1 billion a year. The total climbed to more than $11.4 billion last year, which is up $4.5 billion from the industry 10-year low in 2009, but still $4.7 billion less than 2004's historic high of $16.1 billion 11 years ago. That increase reflected both growth in average premium rates as well as in covered payroll as California's economy continued its recent return to health following the deep recession started in 2008. Emergency reforms in the early 2000s and other factors, including the lingering recession, caused premium volume to sink dramatically between the 2004 high and the 2009 low of just $6.9 billion. But that's turned around significantly starting in 2010 and escalating in recent years. Volume at the state compensation insurance fund skyrocketed more than 37% last year to nearly $1.53 billion, while the Berkshire Hathaway Group, the state's number two comp insurer, posted nearly $1.14 billion in 2014 premium volume, up 16.4%. 
The state funds saw volume rise dramatically during the comp crisis as private carriers fled the niche and then dropped precipitously when reforms lured them back. The whipsaw trends battered the San Francisco insurer, and as recently as last summer, it was still trying to right the ship, bringing on Vernon Steiner in June 2014 to replace former CEO Tom Rowe, who left office in late 2013. Seven of the state's top 10 comp insurers saw premium volume jump last year, while three, Travelers Group, Hartford Fire and Casualty Group, and Fairfax Financial Group saw volume dip slightly. Those top 10 companies accounted for 63.3% of total premium volume last year, nearly two-thirds of the $11.4 billion total, up from 60.8% the previous year. However, Liberty Mutual Insurance, once the country's biggest provider of workers' compensation insurance, is pulling back from the comp market as its profits get squeezed by increasing medical costs and changing state regulations. The Boston Company, which got its start a century ago insuring railway, shipbuilding, and tannery workers hurt on the job, has slipped to number four by premium since 2012. Its annual work comp premiums dropped by more than a third to $2.7 billion in 2014 from $4.2 billion three years earlier. The insurer, first known as the Massachusetts Employees Insurance Association, also has sold off some of its workers' compensation subsidiaries and paid Warren Buffett's Berkshire Hathaway to take over some of its claims. Liberty Mutual officials said the company will remain a large player in the market, but is focusing on growing more profitable portions of its business, such as safety consulting and managing the claims and paperwork for companies that insure themselves for work comp. Liberty Mutual's overall profits have grown since it began reducing its work comp business three years ago. In 2011, the insurer earned $284 million. That rose to $829 million in 2012, $1.7 billion in 2013, and $1.8 billion last year, according to the company's annual reports. In 2012, Liberty Mutual sold its workers' compensation business in Argentina. Last year, it shed... Summit Holdings Southeast Incorporated, which was solely a workers' compensation subsidiary. A few months later, Liberty Mutual announced that it would pay a Berkshire Hathaway company $3 billion to take over some of its workers' comp claims, along with liability tied to asbestos and environmental policies. Analysts say some insurers, however, remain optimistic about workers' comp. The combination of recent state rate increases and more sophisticated data and technology to control costs, especially medical expenses, provides the potential to boost profits. The Travelers Company of St. Paul, Minnesota has increased its share of the workers' comp market and surpassed Liberty Mutual. 
companies that were smaller players several years ago, such as Berkshire Hathaway and American Financial Group Incorporated of Ohio, have grabbed more market share. And that is all of our news and events for this week. Please check our website daily for news updates, past editions of our news, and much, much more. And remember, you can subscribe to our weekly news podcasts and special reports using your iPhone, iPad, iPod, or Android device by searching for the WorkComp Academy with your podcast software. Again, I'm Renee Foles, an attorney with Floyd, Scarron, and Kelly. Thanks for joining us today. Please drop by again next week for more news. Thank you.